Hello, I'm Ron. And I'm Liz. And welcome to I Forgot to Tell You Something, the podcast here to give you hugs and sometimes help when life and ADHD collide. We are super excited because today we have the very fabulous Diane McLean here with us. She is a master certified coach. Oh, she's hating this already, me reading out her bio. She's a a trainer of ADHD coaches and she is a pioneer of kid coaching. She's on a mission to provide strengths-based, competency-driven coaching services to help children and kids at heart feel understood, affirmed and supported. She's been at this for 30 years. Diane, is that right? Not coaching. Not coaching? Yeah. Yeah. But well, she's been involved with all of this mm-hmm. for 30 years. Yeah. Was it? She's yeah. been um, a counselor. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. An educator. Teacher, educator. Yeah. yeah. And um, Ron and I met Diane because she was one of our trainers when we were studying to be ADHD coaches. And I personally owe Diane my albeit short so far, career um, coaching kids because I had a session, a mentor session with Diane once and said, hey, Diane, everyone keeps telling me that you can't coach kids, um, that I shouldn't really be doing that. Am I allowed to? And then smoke started going out of her ears (laughs) and the rest is history. Mm -hmm. Um, And Diane said to me, Liz, you can do whatever the you want. (laughs) Which so, I love. Welcome, Diane. Yay! <laughs> oh my gosh. It's great to be here. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> it is, I do. <laughs> I was like, yeah, me. Uh, Diane, like, okay, so that's, I know that sometimes we put bios on our website and then we forget about them for 15 years. <laughs> what, what are you up to these days? You know, that's what I love about coaching. And having ADHD myself, it's like, I need to rearrange the furniture every now and then and uh-huh. do it, freshen it up and do something new. And I, I love new things. So I keep seeing these chapters, you know, in my coaching practice. And right now the chapter I'm in, I'm kind of in a transition a little bit. You know, I'm dabbling, uh, I work with, I will always have some kid clients I would say the majority of my clients right now are coaches and the majority of my work is supporting ADHD coaches. Um, I love working with coaches and I mean, cause selfishly then I can go help more people because if I work with coaches and they go help more people, then there you go. I had a little yeah. piece of the, a little help, a little role in that. But interestingly, and this is how the, the transitions usually happen is I will start feeling this restlessness. I am sure you cannot relate to that, you know, when things start to get too, uh, it's not boring. I don't want to say that, but too routine. Um, and that, well, and, and it's exciting. I mean, uh, coaches are amazing and I'm always inspired, but it's the same thing. I'm doing the same thing. So the novelty, I think it's more the novelty I need. And I, I just started getting this kind of bug for uh, working with coaches who have no idea about how to work with neurodivergent clients. Um, what, what like sparked that? I've been hearing you talk about this and I think it's amazing. 
but I don't think you've ever told me like at what moment was it just like a moment or was it over time hearing people and, and where you were just like, I've got to do this. This is my new passion. Yeah. It, it kind of built slowly, but then at one point I was in a, I'm in a mastermind group and, and the person who leads the group, Alan Brown, who's amazing. He goes, wow, you're going to need to go do something about this because it's bringing out your Texas accent. <laughs> <laughs> but it was kind of like this slow build. And it, honestly, it started, honestly, coaching kids and coaching ADDers and having to submit recordings. I had to submit for my MCC credential to ICF, you know, the mothership of all coaches. Yep. And I like, I have to be authentic and I don't like you know, saying, well, I'll just go coach a neurotypical so I can jump through the hoop. I'm like, why would I not turn in recordings of 80 deers? You know, they deserve good coaching. And I, it was this passion I had for wanting to know I provide quality coaching and I'm helping people get the very, very best that they can get. But what happened was I felt like ICF might not understand my coaching. And so this, there's always been this tension between, yeah, but you're an ADHD coach. So you kind of have to, you know, and especially with kid coaches, oh yeah, no, 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 no. You really, you're, you're going to do stuff. You're going to work with them, but you're not going to really be coaching. And I'm like, why not? You know, as uh-huh. a coach, all of us, we believe that pe- all people, no age limit, no brain wiring constraints, that mm-hmm. all people are creative and resourceful and whole and capable children and ADDers. So there's always been this need to understand how to integrate all the stuff that I learned in training and that I teach into the ICF competencies to feel good about my coaching and be authentic. So it's just been a slow build. And then these little things happened along the way where I get this little bug and this always happens. And then I get a phone call and somebody wants me to go do something. And it's like, Oh, well, that's pretty cool because that's what I'd really like to go do right now. So I'm kind of in that transition right now. For people listening that maybe aren't in the coaching world, um, you had kind of said already, like ICF is kind of like the mothership of coaching, right? They're the ones that decide whether you get certified um, and they have their competencies. And and it's kind of like to relate it to, to maybe other things in the world, it would be like you're taking this test. And you have to study these things, even though you're not going to do it this way, mm-hmm. but you have to study these things in order to pass. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like taking a science class where you're like, we're never going to use any of this stuff. Yeah. We do it this way, but to get your degree or whatever, you have to do this. Yeah. And instead of for the last however many years, we've all just been like, okay, this is the way we do it. Diane's like, screw this. I'm blowing it up. You need to adjust and do it the way that we really do it in real life. Yes. Um, because it's good at. coaching. Yeah. It's just that I always kind of liken it to if, like Liz, if you spoke Swahili and I don't speak Swahili and Ron doesn't speak Swahili, and it could be any language, I'm making that up, Martian for all I care, for, and there's this organization that certifies people to work with people. Uh, and they, they're like, well, we, we can't do that. We don't. So you're not coachable. And that just 
ooh, that's like my trigger. Then I, my Texan starts coming out then. Ah, the Texan starts coming out. <laughs> so, Diane, I mean, I, um, like the spirit of the ICF, that the International Coach Federation, the spirit of the competencies. Yes. I mean, I believe that they are the basis of good coaching. Right? Yes. They're, it's debatable if you need to hit every single marker every time right. to have a Absolutely. good coaching conversation. Absolutely. But this idea of someone not being coachable, that was the other thing that you really helped me push through because I don't think I've ever come across a client who wasn't coachable. But can can you tell us, like, what do people mean when they say someone is or isn't coachable? Right. That's a great question. By the way, I love your whole spirit of the competencies because I think that's why they defined it with words. but. It's reflective of this belief, you know, it's a, it's a mindset that we believe that people, all people are capable and whole and have value in how they do things. And um, I think so many ADDers come to us with no confidence and a lot of self-doubt. And I think that coachable piece, I would hear that and it would just really like make the hair on my neck stand up. What I say, what I know is that they may be talking about is that sometimes a person may have something that's blocking them from being able to be coached at that particular moment in time or that particular, you know, period of their life. You know, sometimes people have been through a lot of trauma and stress and need to process through the emotion of that. And they can't, they, it's really challenging for them to be able to move forward in their life because they've, they've got this big, huge, you know, thing they need to set down and tease apart a little bit. So they have a little more self-awareness and understanding and compassion for themselves and bandwidth, frankly. But I've heard people say, well, they didn't, show up for their appointment, you know, twice. They're not coachable. They must not be taking this seriously or they don't care enough to show up. And and what we know about our brains is that is so not true. Our intention is always there. We want to show up. We don't want to be late. We want to, you know, be there for our appointments. I I had a coach that I worked with that we were doing some work together. She was not an ADHD coach. And I, I didn't even know I had ADHD at the time, but we'd come up with these great plans and I'd be all excited and I'd leave and I'd come back the next week. And it's like, how'd it go? And I'm like, ah, what was I going to do? I mean, like, (laughs) I totally forget about it. And she was like, what's wrong? And I'm like, oh no, but it made me feel like I got an F in coaching and I don't want, anybody to feel like that. And what she didn't know is my, what my brain needs is a lot of, you know, prompts or handles to hang on to. So I don't forget it. And, and I need accountability. I need some check-ins. I need to say, Hey, can I text you when I make this, you know, do this thing and send you a picture of it? Cause that's going to help me. It's not that I want people to um, be reliant upon a coach. I don't want a coach to do for someone what they can do for themselves. But a lot of times for ADDers, it's a can't, not a won't. But that doesn't mean they're not coachable. 
they can't do it that way, but there is a way they can do it. And I believe that. And just in my work with kids and all the, all the students I've worked with that I can see they want it so badly. We just have to figure out what's getting in their way and what supports they need. Related to that so much. I remember when I was diagnosed as a kid and, uh, you know, I'll never forget the woman that diagnosed me. And it was the first time in my life that someone believed me when I said, I don't know, you know, every other time in my life, because, and here's the thing, because I didn't know, because I was like 11. And like, we don't know much, right? (laughs) No. But like, I didn't know. And I was like, I don't know. And it's, I would, it would be met with this like fear that like, what do you mean you don't know? Right. And it was almost like, I have to figure it out. Yeah. But she was like, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I was like, it does. That's amazing. (laughs) And, and it's that it's, it's somewhat having someone in your corner and even kids need that. Oh, what, what do you think with, you know, the difference between ADHD coaching and non-ADHD coaching. Mm -hmm. Why is it important for kind of everyone to kind of have a neurodiversity lens? Well, first of all, there are no two brains that are like anyway. So by definition, we all have diverse brain wiring. Mm -hmm. There, you know, there's, I don't know if it's a bell curve or not, but I just know there are all, we're all along something where no two people are alike. The other thing that I know is Many people who have, I talk about neurodivergence kind of with a capital N and a lowercase n, and because we all have ADHD, we we have a condition where we would expect us to think differently than people who don't have ADHD. So there's that kind type of neurodiversity. My son has autism. His brain's way different than my brain, but also in this... Um, post-COVID world, I think what's happened is the challenges that were often just seen like in people with diagnosable conditions that would ex- you would expect some different types of thinking are now showing up all over the place. I think of it as, have you ever seen that picture where there's a dot and there's a background and it looks like it's a certain color, but you switch the background and the dot looks like it's a different color. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot of us now who are looking neurodivergent who didn't used to because our background changed and COVID really played a big part in that. I'm actually getting ready to work with um, a hospital in in Kansas City and where I live. And the teams that I'm going to be working with, while there are some people who have a formal diagnosis of a neurodivergent condition, there are people who don't. And the person who called me, I just think she's such a forward thinking leader. She said, you know, I was going to get some support for, for some people who, you know, maybe need it. And it's real obvious, but I started, I started thinking about it and I'm like, everybody could probably benefit from learning how their own individual brain wiring works and what they need, and then figure that out for themselves and be able to communicate that with teams. I think it's really important because sometimes the executive functions that go along with neurodiversity, the executive function challenges, are showing up in people who are just living their life, but the background behind the dot changed. 
and now they're all working from home and they have, you know, that laundry calling them or distracting them or making them think that's going to be way better than this report I have to write. And, you know, working from home did a lot to people and the distractions at home, the lack of structure. Even when I just moved from school to coaching in an office and then from coaching in an office to coaching at home, it was three huge shifts in the the background, in my environment. And I look way more... (laughs) symptomatic than I used to. I have more challenges. It's harder to get everything done now because the structure isn't there anymore. I don't go to work and then come home. And so everything is just all muddled together and lots of distractions and no, like we had a school schedule. I knew when I had to show up when, and and that doesn't happen for a lot of people anymore. Yeah. It sounds like too, we all have had to learn with ADHD, um, those of us that have been working on figuring out how we work, we've all had to learn our new coping mechanisms and strategies and things that work and how to adjust to a society that maybe isn't designed for us. And now that the society that was designed has changed, not because we wanted it to, but because the world changed. Right. And everyone else is like, crap we can't (laughs) we need to change too and they're looking at us who have been working on changing and be like wow what you're doing is pretty great so it's like they're they're seeing how it's working for us and they're going well i can still make those same changes in my life right i can use strength-based things i can reflect and see how i work instead of working against the way my brain is, I can start working with it and try to find ways to make it happen. And that's ADHD or not. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Diane, I love that you pointed out what a great leader this Mm. lovely woman that engaged you from the hospital is in Mm -hmm. identifying that there's not this binary thing of neurotypical or otherwise, right? right? That we all we all need executive function, and we all are impacted by things that make that hard sometimes. And Absolutely, so we, we all benefit from learning about it. It is a big challenge, though, sometimes to onboard people into that way of thinking, right? How how are you finding that having these conversations about neurodiversity with people who have never really thought about it? You know, it's interesting because I'm just kind of tiptoeing out there to try and work on this. But what I know, I just, you see it everywhere is um, inclusion and diversity and inclusion. All of that is so big in business right now. One of the things I'm really hoping is that, well, first of all, what I see is a lot of non-helpful stuff. And non-helpful stuff done by well-intentioned people can still do harm. And I'm seeing that. I'm really concerned. It, like, it really makes me upset because there, people don't know what they don't know. So there, there's, it's going to be a challenge, but I do know the willingness is there. People are reaching out and wanting this. I just want to make sure what they end up getting is helpful and evidence-based and based on someone who understands ADHD or autism or 
even just basic brain functioning and, and how brain wiring impacts your ability to do executive functioning, any type of executive functioning, whether it's just stress or whether it's people with ADHD or autism or other types, anxiety. Yeah. Can you give me the first and last name and Instagram handles of all the people that don't know what they're talking about and will <laughs> post? No. <laughs> you know, I've seen some, <laughs> I've seen some, I've listened to people online and like, there's this guy named Ron. And... <laughs> <laughs> that guy knows what he's talking about. Let me ah, tell nice. you. Well, um, he learns from the best. Oh, right. um, in case you guys didn't know, I was yeah. taught and mentored by Diana and go to her mentoring sessions once a week. And it is still, the, I think the reason I continue to do what I do um, or one of the reasons. Um, but another question we talked a little bit in the beginning about strengths and what do you think is the reason or or do you think that people that coach non-adhders what's the reason they don't really look to strengths or is that something you're seeing that strengths is something they overlook or what is it that you think the, the issue is with that I see this across the board in ADHD coaching and non-ADHD coaching that people might in their training learn about strengths or they might learn about these assessments and they work with their clients. They glean some wonderful stuff from that and the clients gain insight. But then how do you go use that? Hmm. And, you know, according to the ICF, we it is strengths based. But I think that's true for people without ADHD but or or any type of neurodivergent brain wiring but it's critical for those of us who have daily executive functioning challenges due to our neurology so learning how to integrate them into coaching i think is so important for everybody um for us those of us with adhd we have like this issue with dopamine and if you think about strengths, when you're doing something in an area of interest, you're usually doing something in your area of strength, but, and it's easy to focus. That's for everyone. For ADDers, that interest-based neurology is everything. And so the more we can infuse strengths into the things we don't, that aren't interesting or are boring or we dread or have procrastinated on six months, like I've got a project right over there that I'm working on, we have to find some ways to add dopamine. And so I think it's really tricky because a lot of coaches across the board, I don't see them always being able to integrate those strengths. They're great. They're great. There's assessments. There's all kinds of strengths assessments. And it gives you a lot of really great information. But I like to make sure my clients know what their strengths are and we we create a toolbox. So when they get ready to then go and, you know, they're going to move. All right, let's think about this. What are some things that help you? What does your brain love to do? What are you good at? And I think that's just important for a lot of coaches to know. I think it's critical for uh, coaches who work with neurodivergent clients to know but it's powerful for all. I mean, it's what we are supposed to be doing in all types of um, credentialed coaching. So it's uh, at least ICF coaching. I think um, this also like adds, to, and, and you can ask this question, but the, this is just me adding to it. But I mean, we've never talked about this, but it's good for teachers and parents. Oh yeah, and partners 
to know this kind of thing to yes. maybe you don't have to be, you know, certified in coaching, but to no. be able to dip your toe into it a little bit and understand why it works um, yeah. is going to help you do the thing you need to do as a partner or as a parent or as a teacher too, because it, it does give you this curiosity lens instead of this judgment lens. And, and I think that's really important as well. Yeah. And, and it just works as well. And Diane, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how maybe if there are a few things that teachers and parents can think about when it comes to this. But I just wanted to share, my son has ADHD and that's what led me into this world. But he had this amazing teacher in year six. And I think maybe the third day of school, I got this note in his diary. And, you know, if anyone who's got a kid with ADHD, <laughs> you, you know that feeling of getting the email no! or getting the call. <laughs> no! and you, Oh, your heart can sinks. We, and, can oh. we get a translation of what year six is? Oh, sixth grade. An Aussie translation? Sixth grade. Is it just, like, you? okay. I yeah, didn't know that like, it was just, it works that way. Okay, yeah, great. like uh, maybe okay, he was 11. 11. Yeah. Okay, there you go. And <laughs> she wrote this note in his diary that, and I'm not going to say it as beautifully as she did, but it said, Freddie, you are a charismatic leader. You have the power to control the energy of this classroom and bring others along with you. Use it wisely. <laughs> and yes. it was just it got through to him and he's had so much reprimanding over the years but identifying that he was powerful in some way that yeah. he had these strengths and that, that he was someone that people would follow yeah that made sense to him yeah absolutely yeah. and use the force for good Luke you know yeah. it's like <laughs> yeah yeah it, exactly Oh, yeah. No, I, I love that story, Liz. Um, I worked with a student when I was still in schools. Um, and it was my last year and I'd already started coach training. So I was like doing a little practice. And creativity was one of his top strengths. And he used it to find all the loopholes in every rule, <laughs> so that he could say, well, that's not a rule. That's not a rule. Like, it doesn't say you can't climb the trees at recess. That's not a recess rule, you know? And it's like, but how's that serving you, buddy? You know, he wanted so badly. He was pulled out of class. He was stuck with me all day. I mean, there was some interaction, but um, he, he entertained himself by finding loopholes all day long. And very, very creative. And we're like, well, what could we use that creativity for? How could you use creativity to help you get back to doing what you want to do? And so that's an example. And I love that there was a teacher that recognized that because that's so powerful. Um, It's, you know, I've worked with some teachers where they did some strengths assessments. So one of my favorite strengths assessments is the VIA um and it's free they have a youth version so anybody can take it if you're just interested i don't get money because it's free but it's via character.org via character.org yes and i had a teacher that did it with her class and on there it was an elementary school i think these were like fourth graders and on their name tag where they usually have like their name and then like multiplication tables and you know whatever else is on there um, that they never look at. She had them write their strengths. 
And so then when it got time to do work in the classroom, if there was a problem, she would look around and go, okay, creativity people, raise your hand. Or um, people who are, um, she would just use all the judgment people. Where are you? We need you to weigh some pros and cons for us here. And she recognized the students and allowed them to really be seen all as leaders in their own little field of, of strength. And beautiful. I just thought that was beautiful. And the parents can do it. One of the funniest things, it was a beautiful story, but it was really funny. I was working with a sixth grader, Liz. And his number one strength was humor, which is so common with for those of us with ADHD. We like to have fun, right? And mom's number one strength was prudence, which for oh prudence means, oh no. according to the VIA, is, you know, being very cautious with and not wanting to have any regrets. So I did the, I had done the VIA with him, but then we had mom take it and we talked about her results with him and I read what her strengths were and he just started laughing and I'm like, what, what's so funny? And he said, oh my gosh, you mean she's not trying to nag me to death? And I'm like, oh. no, but she's probably terrified that you'll never have a job. And the so, fear is strong, I think, in the, the if was was this the like a boomer? Was this, yes. is this the boomer generation? Yep. I was like, that's yep. all the parents. I would even say some Gen Xers too. Yeah, the parents yeah, yeah, are, yeah. The fear is real. Yes, it is. Um, yeah especially when you have a child who doesn't seem to fit the mold. I mean, parents get very yeah. isolated because they want to show up looking like the, you know, not, I don't want to say perfect family, but you know what I mean? And it's, it's for her to be able to appreciate his humor and him be able to appreciate her prudence, but they both saw, we, we both care about each other. We want the same thing. We don't, yeah. but, but it's who we are with the via. I, what I love about it is those are the strengths that make you, you, and he could no more not use humor than she could not use prudence. So, but then that. how do you use it in a situation where it's beneficial and how do you use your strengths in balance? I want to, I want to talk about fear for a second, if that's yes. okay, because I never was afraid of anything in a way that was really dangerous and reckless until I had my first child. And then I was scared of everything, right? And um, even... This you know, is just, Liz pointing out the fact that I said boomers and Gen Xers, and she's well, like, no, Ron, parents in general, I, I which think, you will find out soon. Just but by yes, Ron. parents. Just yeah. parents. Well, just parents. Maybe, maybe you won't be, because I will say that um, fear is not a great place to parent from, right? Mm -mm. But we are, I feel afraid all the time. And even the way an ADHD diagnosis is couched is kids with, you know, your child is more likely to struggle. He's more likely to go to jail. He's more likely to die. Ten, you know, there are a lot of scary statistics. And yes. then, of course, all of a sudden, once you become a parent, there's something terrible that can happen to you. Yeah. Right? And it's life kind of gets a bit terrifying. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I also know that when I overreact to something or <laughs> when I just parent really ineffectively, when I get really angry, it's almost always because I'm scared shitless of yeah. something. Right. How can parents navigate that fear when it comes to their kid <laughs> with ADHD? And it, it, it is, it's so, it's so scary because they don't come with a manual. 
And even if they did, they don't tell you when they're shifting in their independence. You know, you don't, it's so hard to know. I just, I think you must've been on the phone with me today, Liz, because I had a conversation with a mom and we've talked, we were talking about how hard it is because it's coming from this place of love. Like you, you want to, put things in place and help your kid learn what they need to learn. And there's so much pressure because you know how parent time is. It like flies. There's something weird about parent time. But the so the pressure, and I know even with, with my son, it's like, okay, he's in preschool. He was really young. He had a birthday that made him one of the youngest in his class. So it's like, okay, well, we'll wait a year to go to kindergarten and then I'll, I'll have him caught up by then, right? And it just kept going on and on. And it's a, it's a developmental delay. So I think one of the things that put me at ease is like, okay, he's not broken. He, he's just a little slower in that development. It doesn't mean he won't get there. So that took the pressure, I think, off of me a lot. But I also think this is why preserving the relationship is the most important thing. Nothing should come at the cost of the relationship because if you have that strong relationship, the mom I was talking to today has a great relationship. Her daughter is 20. uh, She's in her mid twenties. And um, she said, we have a great relationship, but I just, I'm like, she's getting ready to move out. And she's like, mom's telling her over and over and over and over and over, you know, that whole thing, she said what she wanted to do was go have a conversation with her daughter and just say, you know what? I don't like the way things have been going. And just being able to be honest with your kids and, and help your kids know, I don't know everything and I'm, I make mistakes. And I think one of the most powerful things I learned when I was uh, studying to be a play therapist was a quote from Gary Landreth was this amazing professor I had. And he said, you know, it's not as a parent, it's not what you did. It's what you do after what you've done. And so being able to go to your kid and say, you know what, I yelled at you. I, you did not deserve that. If I could rewind it, here's what I wish I had said. And, you know, I, I was, I felt like that because just like when you get scared and nervous about stuff, I, I love you so much that I want to be a good mom and make sure you have everything you need to be independent and have a fulfilling life with or without me, you know, and, and being able to have that kind of a relationship, I think is so important, but I also know it's really hard. And I know a lot of people succumb to the pressure of what, how their kids should be, you know, maybe it comes from the school, maybe it comes from just our culture or neighbors, but putting themselves in that position where they're going to ram something down their kid's throat, which doesn't work. It's going to hurt the relationship, but instead it's so much more powerful just to step back and just say, but you know what, here's what I wish I had said. And here's why I want to be a good mom. Would I be a good mom if I didn't teach you this? You know, what's a better way for me to teach you this? And kind of having that coach-like piece where you can even be curious and, and ask your kid, what do you need to be able to, to know this or to do this? And treat them like That's, a human. <laughs> you're, you're speaking so much to something that I, I think is really important, but maybe you can verbalize why but empowering yeah whether it be ADHDers or not but yeah. empowering kids yeah um 
why do you think it's important to do that for them instead of the thing that you know quote quote unquote know is the right answer right but letting them figure yeah. it out well, Gary Landreth, the same professor, also said, when we do for someone what they can do for themselves, we teach them they're incompetent or incapable. The last thing I want to do is teach my kids that or my clients or students, anyone I'm working with, because I believe people are capable. So I really think that I want to give them everything I know, but then I want to back off enough to give them permission to try it and be that safety net for them. I, it's not like I don't have rules or boundaries with my kids, but, but knowing that I need to give them the opportunity. I've given them roots. I don't want them root bound. <laughs> I want them to yeah. practice using their wings. And before they have to do it, you know, and they're going to be on their own, I want to help them try it out, practice, and know there's nothing you do that's going to make me not love you. So we all make mistakes and I want you to try and go, go give this one of the saying, not, not sayings, phrases I used with my kids when they were real little is there's this whole thing about responsibility, but I would say that's something you can do if it was, you know, um, I think responsibility is a big kind of button for a lot of parents. I want them to be responsible. And really it means, are they, is their ability to respond? And I even talk to kids about this and just say, you know, when you were a little tiny, you know, two month old, if you were mom was holding you and you kicked over her iced tea, would you have to clean it up? And it's like, no. But when you're two years old, can you help clean it up? Yeah. Well, so your responsibilities change because your ability to respond changes. And I think that can get real tricky with our ADDers for parents because we think they could, they, we think they would be able to do some things. And sometimes the can't versus the won't comes in. So we have to really step back, scaffold it till they can, but not try to make them do something they can't do without support and really believe them. Like you said, Ron, when someone believed you, when you said, I don't know, I mean, sometimes they don't know, they really don't. And that, that doesn't make them bad people. It just makes them not there yet. And they need some support. I have no idea what you asked me, but I just answered something. Oh, you nailed it. You nailed <laughs> hey, it. It, you came it got to the me right thinking. Place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I forgot to tell you something. Um, and I yeah. forgot what it was. Yeah. Uh, but I, it, it makes me think so much. I'm, I'm sitting here realizing, I mean, to, to bring up like my own story of certain things in my life that were halted so to speak, because I wasn't empowered in certain areas. Other areas I was, and certain areas I wasn't. And it, it took reflecting back on it and realizing it. And once the, the grieving period of that was over, and once I wasn't as ashamed mm -hmm. about it, yeah, um, I actually learned to self-parent. Yeah. And doing that was exactly what you're talking about, which right. was looking for people that could support me mm -hmm. and starting to take the steps. But it starts with, and I know you've always said this, but like meeting kids, meeting people where they are. Yes. And and not judging them for where they are. Right. right. Because we all learn at different speeds. And so even if you're an adult out there listening, there's going to be certain areas that maybe you were halted in because you weren't given the ability to empower yourself and and now maybe that's your opportunity to do that for you yeah 
Um, because as much, I don't know how many times and Liz and Diane, both of you, I don't know if you relate to this, but all the things we learn about coaching kids or kids with ADHD actually relate to adults as well. Like, absolutely. There, there isn't just some moment that you're no longer a kid. Like, no. it, it feels like we all are, right? <laughs> like, it's like we have more experience, but it's not like when you turned 18, like, you're no longer the, the same. You're just switch. a different person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, we're all the same. It's, I mean, part of the millennial joke is how we feel like we're like 20 year olds trapped in, you know, 30 and 40 year old bodies yeah. and we don't know what happened. And it's like, well, th- it's because they lied to you. You know, yeah, people, yeah, yeah. people are like, well, you'll be in an adult someday. And everything yeah. will make sense. And then we became adults and we're like, nothing makes sense. <laughs> right. when, when was yeah. that supposed to happen? <laughs> who's who's going to pay these bills? Like, I'm still right. waiting for someone to come. Who's going to clean um, this house? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's dark and I just heard a noise. And I'm like, yeah. I better call my parents. And they're like, no, you're you're 40 years old. You can, oh, I have to go figure out what Totally. Is. Yeah. Totally. I mean, our job as coaches is to meet, meet our clients where they're at. Right. So mm-hmm. that doesn't change if they're a kid or an adult, neurodivergent or not. Diane, people listening, you know, it, not everyone who listens to us is a coach. Right. Okay, so people who aren't coaches won't know you're a very big deal in the coach world <laughs> and that no. you are, you're, you are, you are. You're, Diane doesn't know no, she's a big deal. I don't know. Diane's exactly. No. Which Diane's is one of, I'm just Diane. <laughs> one of the many lovely things about you. But as someone who, gets to know you what I also know to be true about you is that you are one of the kindest people and you're an amazing listener Mm. a a couple of years ago at the um, international ADHD conference I was having a a really hard time and I sat down with you at the bar and your beautiful dog Digby and it was just it's still one of the the big highlights of that mm. weekend for me, the way you spoke to me and the kindness. Oh, it's making Aww. me feel a bit emotional just thinking about it. Um, but what makes a good listener is my question. How can we be better listeners? Because you are, you have nailed it. Oh, not everybody <laughs> would say that. <laughs> Honestly, especially what I've learned as a coach is that I really don't know what people need. I just want to, I, I don't want to fix anything for anybody. I just want to be there as a sounding board for people if they need to just process through something. So I think being non-judgmental, which is hard. We all have our opinions, you know, not giving advice unless somebody asks for it. That's hard because, you know, I was a teacher and a, and I was a school counselor and I was a mom. I mean, those I thought it was my job to tell people what to do. It's so, so much more powerful, I'm finding, to just be present with people. Just be tuned in and try to let go of, oh, what should I say next? Or, oh, I have a story about me that's like that too, and I'm going to share that. And there's, it's not that you don't do that. I mean, I think I share stuff about myself all the time. Hopefully, it's for to help somebody not to put the attention on myself. And I think we have a hard time in the world now being present. There's the world moves so fast. And in the ADHD world, our brains move so fast. And, you know, we have distractions and it's really hard to just give space to people. It really is without going, feeling like you're rushed. And it's, 
It's so funny, Liz. I remember that day. I remember sitting there and talking to you and I left and here's my thought on it is like, oh my gosh, I got to find Liz because I know things are hard right now. I want to, I want to, I want to support her. And then I didn't get to talk to you much more after that. And I, I felt bad, <laughs> but oh. I, I feel like that's the, that's the secret though, is to just be present People don't need you to do anything. People, if they want some advice, they'll say, I have no idea what to do. As you, have you ever experienced that? And I think listening isn't about just sitting there and soaking in what they're saying. It really is being present. We talk about that. It's a competency in coaching. And it's about being curious. It's about being non-judgmental. It's about setting aside your own agenda. and you know, it's, it's about the other person. It's about your, who you are connecting with who they are. And, and if it's someone, I think that's what makes a really good listener. Is that easy (laughs) with family? You know, no. Do I do that with everyone I know? No, but it's, I think that I've learned that through coaching And that's been really, really helpful, I think, for me to be able to see how powerful it is to just pull myself out, but still be present, you know, pull my own needs out, but be present with who I am. This this one, one thing I want to ask you, it kind of hits a little close to home because um, and it seems to be in the ADHD community a lot. And I'm sure you've dealt with it as kids, but it's this idea of being twice exceptional. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, for, for those listening, if you are considered gifted or advanced or, you know, while also having, you know, a disability right, or a disorder and yeah. it still feels like, so when I was coaching example, I was coaching uh, high school baseball a few years ago and I still see it even in that. So it's, it's outside of academics as well, but it's this need from parents and I don't know if it's because it's what society's telling them or what the school's telling them or what whoever's telling them that they need their kids to get into this school and hit these markers and get these types of grades and they have to take these advanced classes and all of these things and obviously it kind of fits with our society being we have this kind of thing of we need academic achievement and mm-hmm. we're supposed to be the best and, right. and it's the kind of thing have you dealt with that a lot when it comes to especially parents mm-hmm. that come to you? And if and if you could say something to those parents yeah. to kind of help them have a different perspective, what would it be? I think the relationship's paramount. So think about how what you're saying could impact this person. Um, knowing all kids do well if they can. That's Ross Green's whole thing. He's uh, he's a wonderful coach, although he's not a coach, he's a psychologist. Um, But I think, you know, when I was in schools, I worked, I taught, when I taught by high school, I taught honors and AP students. And when I um, was a school counselor, we had a gifted program, I worked closely with the gifted teacher, and we did a lot of stuff. I've done presentations for parents of gifted kids. And really all parents, even if their kids haven't been identified as quote unquote gifted, I feel like there's this achievement driven piece of parenthood that 
instead of allowing, they're pushing. And the pushing is what is a, a kid wants to achieve too, usually. Um, I, I work with a, a student who's in college and he's away from his family right now. And he has a very, very loving, supportive family, but he wants to achieve. He doesn't need them to tell him, did you do your homework? You know, you can do better than that. I mean, he knows that already. That's not new to him. And I think so many times for our students, when they have really high ability, but it's so hard to do it, it's so hard to, to execute things, the self-doubt, the shame, the embarrassment, the, um, the, all of the shoulds, I think are compounded and it can be really, really, really tough. I, again, it applies to all, all parents because, you know, well, he's not living up to his potential. Okay. I get that, but that's not a character flaw. There's something getting in the way. It's not because he doesn't want to. We all are designed to thrive. We're all designed to grow. Nobody wants to not do that. So if they aren't doing it, they're not able to in that moment. And we need to look at what is it that they need to be able to achieve. But the other piece of it, I think that's so important. And you kind of were, when I thought about it when you were talking about sports is whose, whose desire is this? You know, the student that I work with changed majors um, from, you know, he was pre-med and now he's in a business degree. And that was really tough, I think, because I think he he could have been a doctor very easily. He he's super bright, high achieving student, but he didn't like it. And I think with ADHD, that's the piece parents really need to respect with their kids: is what does it do they want? What do they like? What are they interested in? And help them be well rounded, and then they're going to achieve in all kinds of things. Give them lots of opportunities. Let them test and experiment and try things instead of having a predetermined, oh my gosh, you know, I had, I, when I was a school counselor, I was shocked one day there was a kindergarten, you know, uh, was it was the spring and it was a person who was a parent who was going to have a kindergartner the next year. And she called and wanted to know how should she start working on her, her child's resume. And I was like, throw it in the trash. <laughs> Let them go play. <laughs> I know. So yeah. the pressure to get them into this particular school or even in these activities and they need to have, you know, speak three languages by the time they're five, you know, or it's just is if they like that, that's great. You know, let them follow their interest. But if that's not what they're wanting to do, it's just going to be pressure and pressure is completely counterproductive for ADHD brains. It, it put, it's counterproductive for anybody's brain because it puts pressure. The amygdala uh, will shut down the prefrontal cortex so that, you know, fight or flight kicks in with pressure and the executive functions that are in the prefrontal cortex are inaccessible. So it's counterproductive to put pressure on kids. It really is. You can talk to them about what do you want to do and then support them, help them figure out how to do it. I think I heard a little bit of Texas come out there, Diane. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's brilliant. It does. It <laughs> happens, Liz. You can tell when I'm passionate about something, 
Yeah. And, and it's because I put pressure on my kids. I mean, we all do it. There's not a perfect parent out there. Totally. Totally. And, and I think that, you know, one thing I say all the time that uh, parenting is the biggest opportunity for personal growth that you will ever get. <laughs> for right? sure. Because yes. when I, like, I feel this thing come up in me that's like, oh, they should be achieving or, you know, that potential rubbish. Yes. And, and I really have learned to go, okay, what is this about? And it's never about them. It's always about me. You know, right. it's, it's, yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Oh, Diane, you are amazing. Um, we love you. And I know oh, that well, I love y'all. Y'all are amazing. I love the work you're doing. You guys are so inspiring. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, when you said that you would come up on um, the show, it felt like, you know, Oh, like if a club will have you as a member, you're like, oh, what's what's up with that club? You know, <laughs> it's so lovely that you wanted to be on our podcast. Oh, so I, thank I, you for saying yes. Absolutely. I just think you guys do amazing work. And I know all the things you're doing are helping so many people literally all over the planet because you and Ron are literally on opposite sides of the planet. So you, <laughs> Ron's got one hemisphere, you got the other and... Yeah, Everybody benefits. Yeah, you sure um, do. What, where can I know you are doing different things? Um, you're obviously still going to be coaching kids and mentoring other coaches. Uh, but where can people find you if they need you for your expertise? Sure. Which I'm sure everyone listening will be looking up how to yep. follow along with what you're doing. Yep. Well, I, you can, I'm online. Um, I have my website. It's execskills.com. Never name your website something that you have to explain, but it's that's my website. And I, I'm in and out of social media, trying to be a little bit more on social media. Yeah, we're working on it. Yeah, we're, we're working, working on, on it. it. <laughs> yeah. So mostly Facebook um, and LinkedIn and some Instagram, but mainly through my website. Um, right, so execskills.com. Mm -hmm. And we'll, uh, we'll definitely be... Also tagging Diane in our Instagram so you can follow her there because we'll be we'll be getting her going on that stuff too. <laughs> yes. Um that's a personal thing. But yep. uh Diane, you're you're just so lovely and um I'm I'm so thankful for you and well, for I'm being such a for... great friend too. Absolutely. So. And I'm I'm thankful for y'all and I just it's a it's a privilege to get to be here and and be with the two of you and just chat. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, everyone. Um, thanks for joining us. You can obviously follow us and tell all your friends, um, but follow us wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that's on Spotify or Apple iTunes. And then you can visit us on our website at iforgotsomething.com and also on our Instagram at iforgotpod. Stop, stop. It's not iforgotsomething.com. Why are what? we still not getting I forgot to tell you. <laughs> Jeez, man. I forgot to man. tell you .com. I forgot I, what our website is. I forgot I have ADHD.com. <laughs> See, this is why I need a script. I forgot to tell you .com. And our Instagram yeah. is at I forgot pod. Yeah. And just listen. Just, it's fine. Type, type in i forgot and just kidding. see what happens yeah. yeah yeah right and if it's not there we need to figure out how to make it there maybe yeah. someone out there is really good at seo stuff and they can just anytime someone types i forgot 
Yeah. Just there you go. Up. Yeah. Totally. Great. Um, thank you all for, for joining us and we'll see you next time.